Greetings and welcome to the Lightfoot Podcast. Today's guest is Diana Nayeli Monsberger, and she joins me to share her story of being a part of the Noden community in Stockholm. We explore the intersection of Noden, House Blivande, and the Borderlands Festival and touch upon a wide range of different philosophical ideas. I think you'll enjoy this discussion. Diana is a really fascinating and interesting woman. So I present to you now Diana Nayeli Monsberger. Welcome, Diana, to the Lightfoot Podcast. I am really excited to be here with you today. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's nice to reconnect. It is indeed. We first met on the micro solidarity course that Rich and Nutty held earlier this year. And uh, yeah, I remember feeling a deep sense of resonance with you in a really short period of time. Um, and it's actually quite a sweet story because I hadn't started the podcast then. And Along the way, I've been friends have been telling me that you should really uh, take a look at what's going on in Sweden. And I checked out this 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 video of the community that you're a part of, and there you were. You popped up halfway through, and I'm like, "Hey, I know that lady." And um, that was a really sweet feeling because I remember you'd mentioned to me the community you're a part of, and it sounded just super interesting and really fascinating. And um, here we are exploring it together on this podcast. That was a nice little uh, unfolding for me. Yeah, it feels very that there is a lot of synchronicity right now um, around Blivande, all the projects that are happening, being invited, this podcast. Thank you. I just want to say thank you so much. I listened to the episodes before and it gave me this sense of being part of something that is happening in many different places. Um, yeah, before I thought that maybe, you know, you're very, I am not you, I am a lot in, into my own community and I like to connect also on the big picture, but knowing that there are so many different communities actually with similar values and trying to evolve something different um, feels very connecting. So yeah, every time I listen to an episode, I feel warmth. Yes, that's fantastic. That makes me feel awesome because that's the, 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 the treat that I have of doing this podcast is I'm just getting so much hope and I'm just getting such a buzz of excitement connecting in with such extraordinary people from around the world who we're all working on such similar things. And there's this almost inevitability to it for me now, because, you know, when we're in our own community, it's, it's a lot, it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of focus to really, you know, be present with yourself and the people around you. So it's, it can be a little bit insular sometimes, but to see how, powerful a lot of these projects are and how similar they are in nature is um yeah it's really it's just a good sign for me that we're on the right track and it also suggests that the more we can connect up the more we benefit because we're all going through the same things and we're kind of coming up against the same challenges and um yeah there's something really potent in that and um i'm glad that this podcast can play a little part in opening windows into each other's worlds um yeah, I would love to sit down with all of the guests at some point and just be like, hey, and all just look at each other. I think there would be a big smile on everyone's face and a deep sense of feeling understood in a way that, um, yeah, might be quite special. Yeah, it feels like a future dream. I, I've been starting to dream that. Um, having, you know, 
an invitation for all the different people really involved in this communities for a type of conference, but also a non-conference, like talking about the things that we dream about and why we're so involved in doing this. Um, there was this idea of having, you know, a Nordic gathering for decentralized communities because Blivande um, and Norden and the borderland, which is the Nordic burn, are very decentralized communities that already have a lot of, like we are a connected, semi-connected network in the Nordics and just thinking about expanding it to the rest of the world feels amazing. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and, and kind of effortless as well, which is something that's really sweet about it. Because of the types of people that are involved in these projects, there's often a very uh, easy and sweet synchronization process of like, hey, let's do this efficiently but with depth. And it's it's nice. It's always like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we operate the same way, which means that we can interact quite deeply, quite quickly without feeling overwhelmed with having too many connections in our life. So that, that plays in our favor, I feel. Um, Let's yeah, and there's, oh, yeah sorry. Go on. <laughs> there's this aspect of, you know, also understanding um, that most of the time we are in the present moment. So I feel that I have a lot of connections outside the immediate belief on the community that expands a little bit, you know, to Denmark, to Norway. And this is people I really, really care about. But there's also this understanding that there is, you know, a limitation of capacity to keep in touch. And when we meet, we meet. So I feel that this type of conference or meetup could could have a, a similar dynamic, you know, appreciation of being there for each other and with each other in the moment and living our lives when apart and ask for help and advice when it's needed. But also, yeah, not not this type of suffocation um, that proceeds or, yeah, comes after encountered and expectations of keeping in touch. So... <laughs> Definitely. Oh, I feel it in my body as you're describing that. I, I, that feels really good. And I think we've discovered one of many projects that it sounds like you and I are going to want to co-create together, Diana, which is great. And we're only five minutes in. That's cool. I'm going to have to keep a note of all the cool stuff we're going to do. Um, before we uh, launch too many exciting new initiatives together, let's give uh, our dear listeners a bit of an insight into... Livanda and Noden and uh, the Borderlands, if you want to include that as well, but maybe just give a bit of an overview around, yeah, any of those projects you want to start with. And um, yeah, I guess I'm particularly interested to get a bit of a, uh, just a broader eagle eye view on, you know, kind of the the amount of people involved and what it looks like so people can kind of get a sense of, of, of how your collectives have taken shape. Yeah, so... It's hard not to talk to talk only about one of the three names without really including the others because we're really not really dependent on each other, but we feed a lot um, of each other. So I'm just going to talk um, about the Node first, which is an organization um, that was started a couple of years ago, and it's a little bit um, in Swedish as a förening, which is a uh, non-profit organization where you do, you know, exercises and crafts and arts from, I don't know what the name is in English. Um, and it started um, in, I think, yeah, four years ago. And right now it has 300 members. Mm -hmm. And it was a place that was inspired a little bit by Burns, but it was also inspired by, in general, philosophies around, you know, um, creating 
spaces that have the same the same nature than religious spaces, you know, like churches, but non-secular. So a couple of friends um, met together. Uh, one of the co-founders is Hampus uh, and started to, yeah, prototype this organization where people would meet and gift instead of consuming. So it's also a little bit linked to the Burning Man, you know, like non-participatory um, and non-commercial thoughts. But it's definitely not only inspired by that. We are really, um, I don't know, we put a lot of effort in making it very clear because I personally and a lot of people in the collective also see a lot of faults in the Burning Man culture and how we mm. would not like to engage into that. So Noden was created uh, as a place where people could invite people to be part of workshops and different um, events uh, by paying a very small amount of money, which would be about $10 monthly, and have access to the space, organize workshops, organize dinners and, and even parties. We got a very, very cheap, cheap deal from a place that was going to be, uh, be tiered down. So it was mm. possible to create this space for three years, for about three years, um, with very, very little income. But when the time came to actually move, it was really hard to find a place of that size in central Stockholm. So for people and community members and doers and very active members of the community, decided to create a company, which is Blivande Idea, <laughs> to actually be able to rent a place because we found a really, really nice house um, in the center of Stockholm that was rented by, by the city or by the harbor, but they would not rent to an organization. So the idea of creating Blivande came out of the need to make um, the space for the node possible to, to mm. keep growing, to, to keep being. Um, so we rented that space and it became also very clear that having not a, you know, demolition contract and a real contract comes with its costs and it is, yeah, much more expensive. So, so many ideas came up, okay, how can we make this space um, more sustainable? So Blivande decided to create a co-working space, which is Studio Beta, and an artist and maker space, which is Studio Tau. Um, yeah, and from there, Blivanda has been growing a lot, also just as a concept. We started to rent a parking space from also the harbor and put some containers on it. And right now it's an art space, sometimes a market. This summer, we hope that COVID goes a little bit down and we can have festivals and, mm -hmm. and gatherings and really also engage the city and the people that live around the harbor um, as an open space. So what I think it's really interesting about the Node and Blivanda is that we are semi-open. It's a community, but there's always a possibility to be part of the Node, which is 300 members, or come and work at Blivanda where with its, I think right now we're around 40 people, um, Blivanda is a little bit more closed, so there's a you know month of getting to know each other because it is um, working every day in a similar space is different than being part of an organization and go mm. once a month or even once a week. 
So yeah, that's Norden and Blivande. And Borderland is, um, yeah, the Nordic official burn. We are connected to, I say so much we, so I guess there's a very, a lot of collective thinking in my being. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're connected to Burning Man. But it's also the, I think one of the only bigger burns with now 4,000 participants that is completely decentralized. So I'm part of the board and the board's tasks is actually to do absolutely nothing is possible. Um, mm. And we're really good at it. We're really a decentralized <laughs> community organization. Um, yeah. So I'm open to any questions. I tried to give an, out, an overview, so I hope it, it worked out. <laughs> Very efficient, Diana. That was a fantastic overview. I have uh, so many questions, but firstly, I just want to say, wow, what an awesome constellation of different nodes in your network. And, and I can see how those, those things intermesh and uh, more than anything, I'm just excited for you and I'm feeling happiness and joy knowing the the amount of goodness you must be getting out of being a part of such networks and projects because they're really similar to what I've been doing myself for the last five years. And um, But you, it really sounds like there's a level of maturation and that you're at a phase of, yeah, really harvesting some of the rewards of your hard work. And I can just imagine uh, how good that must feel. So um I, there's probably also lots of challenges and difficulties that come up along the way, but yeah, that's my first sense of just um, maybe I just want to ask, like, how does it feel to be a part of these things, and 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 how does that show up and impact your life? Yeah, that's a yeah, it, it's a, it's amazing to be part of this. <laughs> I mean, I I personally don't really think I would consider like this is my life. Most of my friends. I have a couple of friends that are not part of this community here in Stockholm, but most of my friends are part of this community. Um, all my free time and engagement time and part of my working time, I spend creating, being here for this community. Um, but it's not just a giving. Like I get so much from giving <laughs> to mm. this place. I mean... Um, I have this anecdote that I tell people that before I I went to the node for, I don't, I think it was maybe four years ago or three years ago, um, I really thought that I was going to, you know, go crazy eventually in my life. And then I found this community and I realized that I'm not crazy and that there's enough people wanting the same things that I want from life, the same sense of collaboration, creativity, uh, fulfillment, friendship, and and more than anything, also love, like Right now, I'm a little bit on, you know, like a personal exploration of love as a concept and outside mm. relationships and, you know, the norms. Um, yeah, and you learn so much all the time. It, it feels like a never-ending source of wisdom, you know, like the nature of people coming to collectives and also leaving them gives you also a certain type of flux in people. So you meet and you get close to people at times and that you, yeah, you get, now I need to gather my words. You, you get close sure. to people because people enter the community and some leave. So there's always this flux. It's really not um, closed. And because we have Borderland with 4,000 4, members and the Node with 300 members, there's a, you know, constant feeding of each other. 
So a lot of people go to Borderland because they hear about it from the node. And a lot of people go to the node because they hear about it Borderland. And then people that really feel a lot of resonance with the house, the values, co-working and doing um, stay as a part of Blivande and start their own projects there. I say so much doing because I feel that the core of Blivande and the people that are super, super engaged in Blivande um, are just a bunch of doers in so many different ways. And there's, you know, the type of joy that I personally have as a doer to be around doers. It's, it just, you feed each other with ideas and projects yeah. and creativity. So <laughs> there's a lot of joy in that. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I, I'm fascinated by this uh, balance between doing and being. It's something I wrote about in my book, I just touched on briefly that for me, the broader objective of these collectives is really to learn how to be together deeply, quietly, and on many different levels. Like the being for me is probably the ultimate goal. Um, but to get to that level of being, I think that needs to be expressed through doing because, you know, we're like busy creatures and we need to be pointed in a direction that feels good to do together and sort of titrating that uh, that focus between doing and being as a group can be can be really important because if you're doing too much of one and not enough of the other, then it can potentially get out of balance. But you, you definitely, I feel, need that core of action and uh, putting your ideas into reality. And that's something, that's a sense that I really get quite strongly off the, there's a wonderful video about Blivanda you guys released, I think in the last year. I encourage everyone to have a look. I'll put it in the show notes. It's about 10 minutes. It's awesome. And it really, uh, gives a sense of that, you know, the maker space, the, if you've got an idea, you jump into it, they're helping each other out, lending each other power tools, kind of like, yeah, empowering one another. And I think wrapped up in that kind of Nordic efficiency and just capability that I feel you, you have as a, as a culture in general, the proficiency and <laughs> technical skills, that that's a delicious mix um, that I got a sense. And I, I, I can imagine being in the heart of that is is pretty powerful. Do you, do you maybe want to speak a bit to your uh, joy of coming into touch with power tools? That's something you mentioned in the video that, that stuck with me. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's a really, it's a typical Blivanda story. Um, I think that's also why it's in the video. Okay. Because, yeah, I, I'm a trained um, biochemist and I do a lot of things. I paint a little bit, but Power tools and wood and construction work was very, very far away from my reality. Mm. And of course, with Borderland and, and building projects, it you know came closer and closer. But really, in the summers, we had this summer um, and last summer events called Work is Play, which is a very dualistic um, concept that a friend of mine, Linnea, uh, started. And it's you know, like the, the joy of actually working together and making it in a playful way. Uh, sometimes even, you know, with role playing and a little bit of live action role play involved. So it's a really nice concept that I value so much. Um, yeah. And in these events, you know, things were needed to be done and there were the tools. And I started to construct a very simple uh, table out of uh, palettes. And then I really noticed that there is this type of empowerment and being able to construct your own shit. <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah, as a person, I, 
I just really get very enthusiastic and and activated by new skills. So I was just going to move and I decided to build my entire furniture for my apartment, which is wow. still in the process because it takes a time. And yeah, but just feeling that empowerment and I feel some part of me has also learned to not be afraid of things in a bigger picture that is not, you know, things that you don't associate with can be very scary, can be something that you tell yourself that you're not. You're not someone, you know, that uses mm -hmm. heavy machinery, but actually there's a very small threshold. It's mainly mental, a mental one. So that that's, you know, like the philosophical aspect of it. And it's also very yeah. cool to have your own furniture. It kind of, <laughs> it is very cool when people come to your house and yeah, I built this table. Yeah, I'm building. Of course it is. <laughs> you get cred, and it's just cool using power tools. Funny because the same story with me. I've I've never been particularly handy, but uh, when we started building um, our equivalent of Blivanda, a friend of ours, and it's a beautiful story because he was a bit more of a quiet member of the community, highly proficient tradesman. He just showed up and just did so much work behind the scenes. He's not the biggest people person, so he didn't even get much credit or he wasn't really seen for it. And he taught me how to build a kitchen. And yeah, God, the rush of the saws and the drills and like, yeah, it's almost like it's like a demigod feeling to it, like these kind of cyborg extensions that uh, I didn't even know I was missing out on. So I feel you on that joy. And that kind of ties into, I think, one of the, the major benefits of these collective contexts is the the skill sharing element of yeah just how when you get that kind of group of people together how many different skills there are and how it doesn't really take that long to kind of share them with each other and it creates this deep sense of trust and it and points towards this idea that we're kind of evolved psychologically and sociologically to thrive in villages or tribes and and, and small groups where you have diverse people and diverse skills, kind of like the way different amino acids make up a protein. We're not meant to be these hyper-individuated, alienated creatures. And uh, we all have our superpowers. And when we each bring that and share it with each other in, you know, just a period of a year, you can really upskill and benefit one another and create quite a, a badass collective of doers that can grow its own food, create its own power, resolve its own conflicts. And there's great joy in that. I, I I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. I imagine you guys is, have, have got a quasi autonomous feeling going on there with 300 people and the skills you must have in your network. Yeah. So we do have a, a big network of people with the node. Blivanda, as I said, has 40 people, but the people that are in this um, little, you know, in the smaller, tighter network, um, mm. there's, you know, people that are plumbers, people that have, have their own, you know, custom um, metal production companies next to Blivanda, next to the actual house. Uh, we have artists, we have uh, computer scientists, and we have architects. So just having so many different skills and the tools, you know, power tools and the space to actually do all these projects together, I think it's very unique um, it's something, I mean, I haven't been part of many makerspaces, to be honest, but I can imagine that it, that having this variation of people, there are also people in the house that would never touch a power tool. And that's fine. They're amazing designers, you know, like they are amazing people and doing something else. But still, there's this conversation of projects and people help each other out in their skills, which is very valuable. Um, 
and also being around people that are not like you. I find, you know, job environments to be very homogenized. So it's, it's, you, you just talk about the same things, but if someone really has a different everyday life or like really different um, experiences from you, it's just really interesting uh, to be around them and also to have friends that are so different from you. This is something that I've really learned through the note, through Blivanda, like how precious it is to have a non-similar friendship group. Wow, I learned, mm. I learned so much from my friends and I learned the most from those that are different from me. Even though I love also everyone that is similar, it's more like a cozy space to thrive, but like I get challenged by those that aren't and that's amazing. Yeah, I hear you. But there's an inherent tension in that, right? Because, you know, the, the maximum plurality you can have in ideas is obviously going to lead to the most cross-fertilation and the richest, most diverse ecosystem. But it can also test the limits of cohesiveness and can lead to uh, even the dissolution over time if there's too many different perspectives. So I find that's a really subtle sweet spot of... Um, you know, maintaining that balance between difference and similarity. And I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit in the community of where that's at or what that brings up for you. So right now I've been, I feel that I bring a lot of, you know, emotional things up in our communal spaces. And I've been bringing up the sentence that conflict is natural. Conflict is something positive. Conflict is going to happen. Um, the way to go is like, how do we resolve conflict? How do we see each other in conflict? I think it is very easy for spaces. And I felt maybe that we were going that direction that, okay, conflict means that we're doing something wrong, but it is really not the case. If you have 40 or 300 people and everyone in our, in our little community is so driven and so special in their own ways of course there's going to be conflict I mean it, it, it feels like the most natural thing to expect is conflict um, and I think we are growing into a direction where we are collectively seeing conflict as something that is going to arise and when things go, go to a point where there is a resolution um, needed we take the time and we have a call right now with COVID or yeah we want to also we will have soon a retreat our first retreat with the 40 people of Blivanda um, in spring. And I think it's going to be, or I want to make it a big topic, conflict and what we expect from one another in conflict. I, I'm in love with conflict right now. You might notice I love, <laughs> I love the word conflict. I could say it so many times. Conflict. Do you want? Do you want to? Do you want to have a fight? Do you want to? Do you want to have some conflict right now? Let's see how we go. I think you're taking up too much time on this podcast, Diana, and it's hurting my feelings. And uh, oh, but I mean, like, um, fight. Learning how to fight gracefully, I think, is the major thing that we need to be doing. Like the community I've been a part of went through World War Four together this year around social justice issues and it, it doesn't look like it will get back to where it was after that. So I've seen what it's like. Um, and if we're not prepared for that and specifically if we're doing it through social media uh, comments, um, it gets really ugly really quickly. And so I think, yeah, fighting gracefully, I'm just learning personally how to actually reclaim my anger as an individual. I realize that um, I, I'm not really good at expressing it. And I'm 
I'm kind of finding out there's this kind of clean anger that I can do where I kind of get angry, but like not directly at the person, but kind of like a few degrees off to their left or right. And then that's actually really healthy, but it's, it's, yeah, I'm, it's a long process as an individual. And I think as a group, we definitely are a little bit lacking in those abilities, but I think they're critical. Um, how do you feel your crew is at, at, at fighting together have you had any big fights yet and how's it panned out conflicts maybe is a better word yeah i i think we are we are very young i mean blivanda is now almost two years old um which feels like a very young stage and we are we, we're having disagreements and we have people you know distance themselves for a while from the community but I think we are, or like, I feel that I'm being aware that there needs to be, you know, this, this collective maturity and, 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 and desire to learn to work through, through flat fights and conflicts because it's so easy to get irritated. And I felt so much resonance when you said um, how to own, you know, anger, frustration uh, purely in your body or in your own being. Um, it is definitely a process, but I also feel that when you do it and when you also express anger without projecting, it's also needed um, that the other person understands that your anger is not projected. But I think yeah. there is some value in actually showing it. Um, it's not, you know, you don't hate the person. You are in, in, in an anger state. But how can you be in that state? And it, it's also about, yeah, collectively understanding that when someone is angry, um, yeah, owning anger. It's not really directed to you. So it is a big learning process. And I don't really know where we are as a community, but I, I feel that this is where I am and what I want to bring as a gift um, soon into our community. Ownership yeah. of emotions. Definitely. I think that relates really closely to the autonomic nervous system and a lot of work that's coming out of this you know, wave of deeper trauma understanding that is happening in the world of mental health and the general public now of, you know, there's a fight, flight, freeze and fawn response that we all have. And each one of us tends to react differently in moments of conflict, depending on the tone of our vagus nerve. Um, and that's really fascinating because when you start to become a bit more fluent in those four different responses and you start to watch in yourself, which one you tend to to divert to and in which situations, yeah, you, you you have a lot more agency to be able to surf the present moment with the other person rather than kind of get lost in your story and then have emotional flashbacks to all those moments in your life that can kind of throw you out of sync in that moment of communication. Um, I've been learning about the freeze response, which is something that I didn't even know I was doing most of the time, which is, tends to be how I respond to conflict. Um, not much of a fighter. I kind of will flight, you know, I'll storm away from my mom as a teenager, but in my adult life, it's more like I'll just kind of zone, zone out and not so much disassociate as like uh, just kind of, yeah, vacate the premises a little bit. And it's a defense mechanism that um, I thought was serving me, but I'm learning is not because it doesn't really allow me to be in that moment with the other person. And if they pick up on that, I've gone into the freeze mode, then that kind of can be triggering for them. So 
I'm really fascinated learning about this stuff. I feel like such a novice because it's only been this last year that I've really got to terms with it. But it's so fundamental, this um, constant search for safety that it seems that our systems are going through and how basically I'm finding that most of our relationships, including community, they're really us trying to rediscover safety after having been raised in you know a pretty turbulent and what I would deem unsafe, modern, capitalistic and all those adjectives culture. So yeah, becoming more cognizant of, of how our psychologies are geared towards that and how we can help each other reach that in co-regulated states versus traumatizing each other even more, which is what can happen if we go into these tight-knit communities without the awareness or knowledge. Um, where are you at in terms of are you being more traumatized or less traumatized by your community experiences at the moment or an even balance? Um, is that something you care to share about? Yeah, I guess, you know, community also brings with it, uh, itself emotional challenges of different kind. Like you get or I get confronted a lot with my own patterns and reactions. And I know that you mentioned in earlier um podcasts that you know when relationships come into the picture and you are a tight community uh, it brings also a lot of conflict with it so there's of course it's life so you 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 get triggered you get into conflict but I also find myself preferring this type of development much more than what I what, what little I know from what existed outside so there's this acceptance of being in the truth and trying to be in the truth I find around it and yeah, maybe maybe the commitment or or to trying to to be honest. It's really hard to pinpoint because I'm also talking about my own personal reality while I'm right now wondering how everyone else experiences um, that collective connection in the community mm. and everyone is so different. So I guess yeah. yeah, I'm a very collective, you know, we thinking person, a lot in the emotional spheres and yeah, wondering yeah. how it feels for everyone else. Do you feel you're taking uh, good enough care of your internal emotional space? Because we were speaking before the call, and this is a, a pattern that I'm seeing in, in each of the people that I've been talking to on this podcast. It's very common for us to give a lot to the point that is maybe not sustainable until we don't even see that until we, we get to that point of feeling kind of drained and um that's been a fascinating insight for me, seeing how many subtle emotional kind of energetic psychological connections are happening uh, underneath these community contexts. And I feel if we're not cognizant and we don't shine a light on them, it can often be happening without us realizing it. And that can be kind of quite a lot to hold for those few people that are in the center of that. So how do you relate to that kind of dynamic? Yeah, right now, just hearing you say that, I'm just really thankful because I feel that I found authentic relating about the same time as I got into, you know, driver positions around the borderland and then the note and then Blivanda now. Um, and it has really helped me. Um, so I practice authentic relation a little bit with Art International, which has this five um, principles, which is welcome everything, reveal your experience, own your experience, um, honor the self and other. And now I forgot one. 
but it doesn't really matter. The most important one is honor yourself and other and reveal your experience. Um, and that together with seeing so many of my friends go to utter exhaustion has really shown me without having to, to go through it myself in that, in that matter, um, how to take care of myself in a more responsible way. I feel that if, if COVID wouldn't have happened, I would have pushed harder. But, you know, this slowing down globally and really rethinking life that I don't know many people have been through this year has really shown me, okay, if you want to do this for the long run, you need to do it more sustainably. There was, previous to COVID, this constant thought in my body and mind, like, okay, Diana, you can't. You can't do this much. This is over the threshold. You're you're eating up your energy. You're always becoming a little bit less. And I feel that now it's more balanced. I'm actually becoming more. But it was wow, also, that... you know, learning so much from people that I know and love that have been to the very, very edges. Mm. Could you speak a little bit to the the practices or routines or what's helping you stay in balance that that way? I mean, just a very basic to get enough sleep, to not do too much, to honor, you know, like I fucking love to work um, and also honor that. And that it also means that I can't be that social um, mm. if, I, if I want to work that much. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually really going back, back to the basics. Need, basic needs yoga, to be honest, is a big thing in my life right now. Uh -huh. uh, food, um, nutrition, yeah, and nourishing relationships, like slowly letting go of friendships that were more taking than giving and finding, finding balances in those that are mutual. And they are, you know, they change at, at times. So sometimes you give more, sometimes you give less, but letting go yeah. of, of connections that are really just taking. And that's something that mm. I see as happening collectively a lot in my friendship groups. Yeah, I I see this as this beautiful, I found that we form these groups to get a mirror to see just how out of balance we are. And then there's this inward process of like, all right, well, let us go in and, and work on that. And I feel there's this, we're all like the same uh, group wave of communities that have started in the last five or six years. And the sense that I'm getting is that a lot of them are in this, internal period i mean the world's just gone through that with covid as you mentioned and i'm imagining that well we're going to reemerge from that you know like 3.0 versions of ourselves that can like stick to the yoga schedule eat what we need to sleep the right way make sure there's you know healthy relationships in the right quantity and man we're going to kick some ass at that point and i think the communities are going to look really 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 special but uh it's kind of humbling, I feel, because when I started my journey, I was like, yeah, you know, let's do the revolution. And I'm like, well, I kind of, I'm not really ready for it. I've learned out, I've learned through the process. It's been quite humbling to see that I needed to improve my discipline in some areas and my self-care or else I'm kind of going to be more of a hindrance than a help to the movement. So um, yeah, there's kind of this hurry up slowly quality to it for me of like, how do I become more of a balanced, integrated person? And that's by kind of slowing down and taking a deeper breath. But at the same time, that's in contrast to a rapidly increasing series of 
existential crises that are getting closer and closer to our doorstep in terms of any number of major world issues. So, yeah, does that bring up anything in you? How are you going with that balance between the pressures of the external world, caring for yourself and caring for the community around you? I think a big, big part of it is trust. Like I'm experiencing an enormous amount of trust um, towards the people that I work closely with and towards the people that I care and love closely or have closely to my heart. Like this trust and to be honest, also my solidarity, I kind of got sold by the whole concept of, you know, like if you want to do something big, start small, make your own groups that do change. Um, There's, you know... I, I hear when you were saying that you also had this urge to change the world. How can how how can do I do the maximum amount of of work? And that actually, uh, or you know, work to improve the world. And that actually was quite for me dissociated from who I am as a person. Like really seeking roles and seeking something that I might not be just to have the biggest amount of impact. Um, and for me, it has been you know like a journey of okay. Um, what is actually something that I want to do and want to give and how can I help and how can I support in a context that I think is doing something good, that I think is changing the world or creating change into the direction that I want to be part of and relaxing into trusting that the individuals that maybe fulfill that role that I wanted to have previously are thriving and are there and trying to connect um, during that process and and help each other. I just want to share this anecdote that when I decided to, you know, join Blivande in a more committed way, I have this conversation um, with one of the co-founders and friend, Hugi, and he said, like, Diana, that's great, cool, but please take care of yourself. We have seen enough people burn out, you know, like, don't take things that uh, you don't want to take, be selective about your projects. Um, mm. We care and, you know, like, we want this needs to be sustainable and there's a lot of own responsibility in how much you take on. You cannot work as much as, as, as someone that is not you, you have your own boundaries. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. That's wonderful advice. It sounds like powerful leadership and it, it, it's fascinating. It strikes me as like the inverse of the corporate world where they're subtly always trying to get more out of you. And I feel in these spaces, we're subtly trying to help each other take care of ourselves more, which is, which is really, really powerful. Um, you mentioned micro-solidarity and the smaller group process. I, I wonder whether that's been a, a part of your community of, of coming together in smaller groups, pods or crews, um, or doing maybe some more of the kind of shadow personal integration work and whether that's arisen in any context. Yeah, so as, as, as far as I know, um, it might be a little bit wrong, but like that Blivanda has been inspiring the concept of micro-solidarity and also vice versa. Um, mm. But the whole Blivanda, you know, leadership, I don't like the word. Yeah, the very engaged people in Blivanda took this course um, from Richard Nutty uh, about micro-solidarity some, sometime in summer because I think there's this value of naming processes that are happening naturally. Mm. Um, and I think the, the process of having smaller groups creating things in the form of crews has been something that is has developed naturally because I think syncing with more than five or six people on ongoing projects is very, very hard. Everyone that has been planning projects and big things, I think, is aware of that at some point. 
it gets a lot a very frustrating and you already almost need one person that it's dedicated to the process of communication which we sometimes even have you know in smaller crews that there's there's a missing this this communicator or this yeah keeping tracks of things so we have a lot of online tools that we're using there's this project called uh, the Plato project that is founded by I think the state if I'm correctly I might be also wrong um, that is about how decentralized tribes can have efficient online communication and it's an excellent platform that I think is launching in January uh, mm. that some people in the community are creating Wow yeah now cool. I kind of forgot the question <laughs> um, no worries that's <laughs> of um, Hilo. Have you heard about that yet? That's Tibet Sprague, who was the first guest on this podcast. He's just launched a software platform specifically designed for collectives and communities like ours to work together as well. So it's good to, yeah, God, we're so in need of these tools. I'm really, I'm really excited to hear them coming through. Um, I, I also just, I want to point to just the triple whammy of having an awesome make a space slash community hub in tandem with a defined collective of people in tandem with a wicked festival that three kind of prong approach we had a version of that going on in chiang mai and i really think it is the kind of basic architecture um i would add a series of pods to that like i would say that's kind of like uh, a deeper small group personal integration work and i think with those four things and maybe you know uh the fifth thing i would put there is like uh, an annual gathering just for that group of people i think that's the basic technology the basic platform for these collectives and communities to thrive and and they they add a kind of diversity there that's the mycelium within which this kind of ecosystem can flourish and it's just cool to see that being recreated everywhere it just seems to be a model that works um and there's just such beautiful interplay between the artistic creativity the day-to-day -day doing the emotional space the fun the change um so it's really cool to, to, to see the, the spectrum you guys have got going on there. And it sounds like you're involved pretty deeply with all three, which, um, yeah, is amazing. Yeah, I'm definitely involved with all three. I think the, the it's very interesting how much of a big role fun plays. I mean, I think I mentioned it in the video about Blivanda that um, people start getting to know each other, building trust, building relationship through fun, through parties, through engagement. And just in the long term, like you build trust doing a project, a participatory project on a festival. And next thing you're, you know, working together on a paid, paid gig or project because you know that you can work with this person. You know how, 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 yeah, you, you have built up trust but not only communal friendship trust but also monetary trust and trust in their ability so it is not surprising um, to me that we are growing closer and closer together and I mean one of the aspects that I can probably see in the future and I'm 100% sure that other people see that is Livanda becoming a bit more of a association owning and co-owning with people different companies and really bringing the aspect of micro solidarity in monetary uh, in the monetary sphere to a new level 
but it's definitely not 100% where we are yet. Mm -hmm. uh, there yet. And I know that, you know, like I have so much trust in this um, that I think that my personal view is a little bit tinted by how much trust I have in this, um, <laughs> which is beautiful in a way. I guess it, it feels good to be sold to a concept entirely, you know. <laughs> I don't think I had that previously in my life, and now I'm sold, and it feels amazing. <laughs> it does. I know that feeling to feel that it just feels so right on so many different levels. And I guess a lot of that's tied into, like, perhaps maybe feeling true belonging for the first time, which is such a fundamental human requirement. And when we really sink in with a group of people that, you know, we'd do anything for, it can't feel anything but right. It's this kind of basic human need that I feel that we need to kind of recreate. Um, it's To me, it's almost a bit hilarious to like actually have to talk about engineering good communities, like to think about how do we structure them and like how do we have these right relationships. It's like so fundamental to us as a social species. But that's where we're at. We're, we're, we're in the context of you know, hundreds of years of industrialization and the strange forces that's, uh, that the way that's bent our relationships and what that means. So we're kind of having to rediscover from square one. Um, did, does that ring true with you? A deep sense of belonging, maybe a belonging that you haven't felt before. And yeah, you yeah, want to speak to that a little bit? It's just also, you know, seeing how the community re reacts to new things. A friend of mine just recently had a baby and seeing how people showed up and stepped up to help them and to, you know, provide food for, for the new, new built family in the first two weeks through a delivery service organized by community members, seeing that this is something that people can actually do for each other that are not interrelated or in romantic partnerships. That's where, you know, this exploration of love outside um, the norm of family and romantic partnerships comes in for me. Like, there's a lot of love and taking care of some someone in that way. And this is definitely, you know, like the way I want to live my entire life. I just, yeah. just want to go back into how it was before or how it felt so isolated. Um, and it also a little bit scary, right? Like what if it stops? What if mm -hmm. we, when we were talking about, you know, divisions and communities you know, not dying, but morphing into something else, dissolving and learning. Like, this is a fear. I noticed when you were saying that, that I was like, what if this happens to Blivanda? This is, my heart is in this right now. Um, mm. It's a scary place to go. And I feel a lot, I felt a lot when you say that, when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like going through <laughs> a breakup. Um, it's intense, yeah. but it's multiplied like a hundred times because you're all going through it in different ways. And like all breakups, it's usually just a breakdown of communication, which adds a level of frustration because there's goodwill there, but it's like, for whatever reason, you, you're not able to kind of just really see or hold each other in that moment. Um, so there's this kind of like added tragic heartbreak to it. Um, what I'm, I'm really enjoying questioning love at the moment and because i think love and particularly romantic love is so deeply ingrained in our unconscious decisions and motivation systems and and comes up pretty quickly in terms of when you're trying to create new cultural petri dishes like we are um i'm curious to hear a bit about your exploration with love as well if you're open to to share what that what that looks like i'm i'm 
I'm personally questioning myself the whole concept of romantic love. I'm starting to see it as perhaps some sort of like, this isn't very romantic, but some sort of like mild trauma response or like wound attraction as one of my old friends used to put it. And and like the more powerful magnetism that you feel with someone straight up might be indicative of not necessarily their suitability as a neo-tribal kin, but perhaps maybe some deeper kind of shared therapy work that you should be going through rather than um <laughs> opening all of your heart love and pants with one another so i don't know where are you at with love and sex and how that meshes with community if you're open to share yeah i need to feel in a little bit i think it's just really strange because i've just saying it feels strange um that I feel that the happiest I've been in my life is always outside relationships or when I'm not relating to a, another human being in that way. Because mm. as you said, you know, like there's a lot of trauma response just popping up. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it, it turns into a nearly, you know, like insane obsession. And I just don't like that emotion. So I'm, mm. I'm really happy exploring, you know, the, what it is to love a friend so deeply that it feels some, it is sacred. For me, that's the exploration that I'm doing right now. And and I just want to mention that, you know, like relationships in this type of communities are a challenge when they break because you are not, you're breaking up with someone inside a context that is your home emotionally, psychologically, and maybe in the future or in some other collectives physically. So how how do you transcend that frustration into something else? And what I'm seeing a lot of people is just accepting that time is a factor, um, giving each other time, maybe even taking a year off, uh, going to the same events or being in the same physical spaces. Mm. Um, and then, but there's always very, very often the desire to reconcile in the end after a couple of years, you know, like after a couple of months having separation ceremonies and going that way, uh, which gives me a lot of hope. I, I I, I am sure you have seen that in your communities too, like people separating, having a difficult time, and then, you know, accepting that there's this bigger aspect of their lives that they don't want to lose. Yeah. And I think it's well really yours. So that's what, where my admiration is at. Yeah. Let, let's make that project number two that we work on there. The, the how to relate and break up in close communities so that it's good for you and everyone handbook, because I think we're all uh, writing that one <laughs> as we go. I, it? It. Oh, I think, I, I don't think that uh, I'm an expert in that, but I think it's something that <laughs> I you know, admire uh, people doing. It's great. <laughs> Definitely. I don't think there are many experts in that just yet. Um, but I think a few of the things you point towards are, yeah, they're really critical. You know, I think there are, there is actually like a, a playbook that could be in there somewhere of like, as you mentioned, just taking that physical space, just being out of each other's energetic field for a while and giving time a chance to, to, to do its thing so that you can return, I think, ceremony and ritual. I think even if you get to the the level of trust with a wider group, having the wider group, you know, be a part of that as well and witness that and see that with you. Um, personally, since I was 19, I got all enchanted with Osho and really into his whole vision of being together alone. And my fantasy has always been to, like, live in a place where we all have our own space our own personal domes to live in that are all very close 
to each other, where, where no one is really in relationship with each other. The whole concept of owning one another as a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband and wife is just kind of ludicrous from this more um, Vedic perspective, you might say, and and this idea of just having closeness with each other. And I think that's what these communities can represent and that kind of sacred friendship, which I like to think of as like a neo-tribal kin bond, which is where, yeah, it goes beyond romance, beyond, beyond having your needs met, beyond having your sexuality satisfied. It's this really deep sense of togetherness that is less conditional, but also has a sense of lightness to it, a sense of like, okay, and now that's experience over. I'm going to go home and sleep in my own place. See you tomorrow in these contexts. So it's like a balance between uh, being incredibly close with another person, but also not being too attached to them, not uh, growing in each other's shade, as I think Kalal Gibran puts it in The Prophet. Um, I have some curiosity coming up uh, around the topic towards you, uh, uh -huh. which was, um, but there are, you know, these people that find this type of love and community and, and they're really happy with it. So there's always this question in my head, if this is just not my way of, of being, um, or if it's just, I didn't meet the right person to be in that type of freedom with, you know, yeah. like there's always this. But what if type of feeling? Um, and I wonder yes. if you explain that too. I can also, yes. you know, like seeing detachment and, and you know, a lot of polyamory in the community. I also am very much aware that it is uh, also a way to not connect deeply with someone. Not for everyone, 100%, not for everyone. There's so many yeah. people that are genuinely satisfied with this type of uh, arrangements and relationship arrangements, but... There are so many people that are just also not. And I'm yeah. pretty sure that, I don't know, I'm assuming you have experienced similar things. Yep, yep, definitely. Yeah, and, and there's so many different pathways for each pe each person. And, and obviously there's no one right way, but I guess maybe, I don't know if I'm just a bit jaded and cynical and bitter at the moment. I, like I feel a little bit after... <laughs> Getting to know humans, getting to know myself and getting to know other people through community, it's a really full-on process. Like I'm all about it still. You know, I'm still doing this podcast and writing the book and I'm, I'm feeling to dedicate my life to creating these new community spaces. But I also want to presence and be real that like seeing the human condition much more clearly, it's a lot. We're motivated by not all good things a lot of the time there's darkness and manipulation that can come in and parts of ourselves that we've been denying and so i'm, I'm kind of I'm, i don't have much faith in in the traditional structures of our culture and society at the moment and so when they start to seep into these like what i see is sometimes pristine virgin community spaces that have been created i feel a bit exasperated because i think we're going to have to do things so differently like we're going to all have to go on a, a society-wide internal journey where we really look at our shadows which then allows us to look at our collective shadows to break the momentum of the intergenerational trauma and decisions that we've been led to make because of the pressures of economics and um, just how that turns into like marriage and the nuclear family. I, I just don't <laughs> see how that can really pan out. And if it's working for people, my, my inner lovingly jaded persona right now is like, yeah, let me just scratch the surface a little bit. And I'll, I'll, I think I'll find how it's probably not underneath there, which is, you know, not true. And, and um, a, a big assumption on my behalf, but 
I want to be real about that. That's where I'm at. And I, I'm, I'm feeling that the more we're our own beings energetically or psychologically that then can create very close connections with people around us without needing to totally drop those permeable membranes, which is what tends to happen in these romantic tribes of two. I think the better positioned we are to really be versatile, kick-ass communities that can bring about a solar punk future. So that's my little diatribe on that. What, what does that bring up in you? Any any thoughts or feelings? I just a, just a lot of curiosity for the future. I am, I'm kind of accepting. I'm in an accepting stage right now in my life where I don't really know you know, like I, I know what I want in a very, very deep level, but I also don't know what I will be experiencing in this lifetime. And it's fine. Uh, it feels like, yeah, I will know when it's happening. Um, so that, that, yeah, it feels like, like a lot of trust towards existence. We got very philosophical uh, in general, which I'm enjoying so much, Joe. <laughs> yeah, awesome. For me, this is deeply wedded to philosophy, all this stuff. Like I've just done five years of action, like literally face to the grindstone, do it, do it, write about it, make the community, build the events, do the stuff. And now I'm in a process of like, wait a minute, what just happened? Before I press go and do that all again, like what are the, I find the philosophy is really at the heart of it. And and this fascinates me with these groups of people. Um, have you guys, um, are you in touch with Hansi Freinhardt or Thomas Bjorkman and the kind of Nordic ideology and listening society books of philosophy that they've released? Um, I mean, people, you know, I don't, in the community, usually there's books trending and then everyone is reading them. And there was definitely, um, the listening society was definitely trending two years ago. Everyone was yeah. reading them. Um, and it is influencing our culture, I think, in many different ways. Uh -huh. um, is there a broad yeah. acceptance of this idea of developmental uh, psychology and developmental growth hierarchies being being a thing? It's really hard to say. I think very practically, um, I've... So I experience there is a big um, cleft that for me needs a little bit of unition between um, theories and what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. So so I see that that people want to grow and that there's this 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 drive to learn more, for example, to allow conflict, to have conflict resolutions and mediations. Um, but I also for me personally, I really think that there's different, that I experience the different stages of developmental psychology within my lifetime in myself. But I'm really being careful into, you know, projecting that into the whole community. I don't, I, I should, or I want the, des the desire coming up is to have those conversations more, uh, yeah. to ask people where they feel they're at. Interesting. I'm, I'm embracing it wholeheartedly. Uh, if, if, Sam, Jason, and I just released the Metamodern Solar Punk Manifesto, which is like, a, um, yeah, just a list of things that we really believe in. And, and I'm finding now, after setting up a community that was very loose on shared philosophies and values, it was more of a like, you got a good vibe and an open heart and some kind of connection to this place. Come and play with us. And that brought in you know, every type of thinker, every type of value, activists, hippies, conspiracy theorists is wicked, really cool. But 
the resilience in that is pretty low when the shit hits the fan, you know, when you've got some pretty serious ideas and issues coming through. And so now I'm more of the thought that I want to coalesce and congregate with people that are already pretty closely aligned to the way that I see the world, which even saying that feels a little awkward and uncomfortable because like it it lowers the inclusivity. But um, is there like a, do you have a, 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 set of values or philosophy or a treatise or a manifesto or God forbid, a constitution that you guys uh, have kind of rallied around or a particular set of thinkers, or is it the philosophy of the two visionary leaders that you mentioned early on? Um, That interests me. Yeah. I need to think for it for like a, a second. Sure. Take your time. I, I don't, I think we have, I mean, we have the node, which is, you know, the 300 people organization where you pay a very small membership to be part of. Um, and there we have a very, very huge um, range of, of philosophies, um, political views. We have a lot of different people, but actually the tighter knit and also, you know, more committed believe on the community is a tiny little bit more homogenous. Like there is, for example, you know, this requirement if you're in the makerspace or you have a co-working space or if you are, you know, involved in the project, there's usually skill sets and and also a little bit of money involved, to be honest. So there there is a prize for 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 being part of the co-working space. It's it's not expensive, but there needs to be, you know, like a certain liquidity for people uh, to join. So I wonder if that is a threshold for maybe people that decide not to not to do it. But actually, if someone would just come in and say, like, I'm going to work crazy for Blivanda, um, there's a lot of, you know, margin of acceptance. It's a really difficult question because I experience our opinions to be quite homogenized. And I don't think it's only... Hugi and Hampus' vision, but it's like a common vision that we have, and it differs a lot. And I experience or I see and feel myself also more and more challenging these assumptions and challenging how Blivanda or what Blivanda is. And in the big picture, um, after talking to Hugi, what I understood is that both Hampus and Hugi, uh, the co-founder, two of the co-founders, really are also longing to step back and be less in the center of decision-making, of uh, hierarchy, of authority, because it's it's also a very distancing uh, space to be. It creates mm-hmm. a big distance between you and everyone involved. And it makes collaboration difficult because if your word is the last word, um, there's a bit, it, it, it is a, a difference. Um, yeah. But yeah, we are quite in some way, I guess. We believe uh-huh. in something. Yeah, but, but maybe it's kind of... very difficult, different people at the same time. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah, it's quite hard to put your finger on what can be that thing that connects everyone, hey? It's kind of like a je ne sais quoi. It's hard to quite capture or put into words. Um, that, that dynamic you mentioned of, you know, people set these spaces up and become those visionary founders because they want to collaborate with other people so it's so ironic that they're then forced into often 
positions of decision making that they don't really want so much, which distances themselves from that. So that's a fascinating little dynamic. Um, I'm curious as to what what are you what are you challenging? You mentioned that you're coming in and you're like, yeah, all right, you know, like let's look at this and and maybe and do things in another way. Is there a particular angle I'm, or, or some issue that you're working on? I'm offering, you know, my my talent of of inducing and and being around connection. Now I feel a little bit shy about it, but um, mm. I feel that there's um, the need if we are to be tighter and trust each other more to create um, more trust and connection through, you know, exercises to through getting to know each other more intimately, mm. our fears and, and hopes and visions as human beings, like stepping away from the visions and, how you mentioned before going into who I, who am I? Uh, what is my expectations? What are my fears? Why am, why am I creating an alternative reality to society? Like what mm. is the drive? And really opening up these spaces to, to conversations. I think this is something that I'm hoping to bring, but I'm also very aware that I'm still a student of the practices that I want to teach, which makes me very self-conscious at times, you know? But I guess yeah. you also write to the challenges that you want to take. Mm. Wow. Awesome. That sounds great. I, they sound lucky to have you from what I have experienced with you as you are lucky to have them. And I think that's, I look forward to hearing how that part of the, the journey unfolds. Um, I'm a little curious as well. Early on, you said there's a distinction between what you guys are doing and the initial Burning Man culture. Maybe that will shed some light on what defines the values of the community through exploring that. Is that something you could speak to a bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, I want to say one thing first, if it's okay. Uh, yeah, I just feel felt so much insecurity bubbling up after I said that because I have never said these specific things to to neither of them or anyone into their face. So I'm a little bit, you know, bubbly and uh, wonder how they will react. But I think it's it's nice to put, you know, explicit words into the explicit actions. Uh, mm. And I wanted to honor my emotion and share it with the world and I guess with them because they're listening to this. And mm. now I'm ready to into burning man <laughs> yeah well we can sit with that for a minute thank you for sharing that and the realness and the rawness of that and um i'm sure that will be well received whether people close to you um is there anything more you want to speak to around that first no i think it's it's just valuing my um yeah this this desire to be honest about my emotions and the value of bringing, yeah, the truth into the picture and just not saying something, but also the connotation that it, it has in it emotionally, you know, like I guess mm. listeners or also them as as people now have a you you get a fuller picture of a person when they also revealed how how it felt when they said something, and I really yeah. value that. So Definitely. trying to live well, to my values. <laughs> I don't want to stereotype you guys too much, but outside of Scandinavia, you guys have a bit of a like cultural reputation for being like not closed books, but I guess my experience of it is like incredibly warm people, but it can take mm -hmm. a bit of time for the uh, the emotional world inside to come out. And obviously that's a gross cultural stereotype and probably doesn't apply to like all the people we're talking about here, but 
is there something to that in terms of the Scandinavian version of these communities? Is it a, a little bit more uh, doing rather than sharing inside as opposed to say, I don't know if I imagine a collective in like Latin America, maybe might be kind of more kind of passionate in terms of like dealing with the emotions straight up or is that just, uh, should we just retire those old ideas? Uh, yeah, good, interesting question. I'm I'm half Mexican, half German, so oh, wow. I'm, I'm very, you know, like I'm very, <laughs> I'm very outside the more norm, or I don't really know how it is to be Swedish. And my only mm-hmm. contact, like as soon as I moved here, I got into this community. But just referring to other people that I know from from places outside this community, I know that it is easier to get to know people here than it is in normal society if we want to just really call it that yeah Uh, because people are more available for connection but i still think you know trust takes a bit longer than it maybe would even in germany but i guess it's it's i mean i'm probably in the most one of the most open communities in sweden so don't really (laughs) think that my opinion here is very much worth it sure All right, Burning Man, tell me, give me the, give me the goss. Tell me what's different. Why we're not like Burning Man. (laughs) Yeah, let's get controversial for a minute here. (laughs) Yeah, there's, you know, like a lot of fun and um, it's a big history in the, in the borderland community of opposing a little bit, you know, the mothership or being Mm. a rebel child um, (laughs) because for from the very beginning, I mean, Borderland was, I mean, there's this also the stereotypical thing that Scandinavia is, you know, this place for societal experimentation because it's a very rich place in the world uh, yeah. with very few inhabitants. So, you know, there's also big truth in that. A lot of experimentation is possible here because of that. Huh. Um, and it has, yeah, tainted uh, the Borderland in which, I think 2017 and 18, we transformed Borderland from a normal hierarchical organization to a fully decentralized organization. Um, And every single year, we challenge each other more to be even more decentralized. So this year, the board is talking about dissolving the board and having a Borderland, like literally an event with 4,000 people and growing without the formal board. And that is really, really different different from uh, Black Rock City and Burning Man, who has, a, you know, they mm. have a hierarchical structure. Uh, and then we don't have a, one single person that is employed by the borderland, even having this current size. So everyone that goes and, and does something, uh, it is bringing, you know, participatory culture to the extreme, but there's no money made by anyone. All the grants go to, you know, infrastructure and projects. Uh, which is, I think, a big thing after having, you know, 4,000 members and growing. Um, And emotionally, it feels a little bit... I've been to Burning Man once, and I treated it a little bit, you know, like a research lab. Um, (laughs) My geek side came out, and I just was running around talking to people about how their experiences is, if they go to regional burns and stuff like that. Um, and I also enjoyed it a lot, I want to say. but <laughs> I can imagine and you I, in your biochemist outfit interviewing people <laughs> on the flyer. Like, how many regional burns are you a part of? Uh, tick here, 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 and here. <laughs> yeah. 
so there, there is a lot of, you know, different views and different people going to Borderland. Um, but I, I noticed that it's, I mean, everyone knows you this problem that has been to Burning Man and is, you know, a burner with a lot of people coming and just consuming, not participating. And I guess mm. it's also linked to the size of Borderland that you have very few of those uh, directions. And yeah, it's just a very different feeling. I know so many people or burners from Burning Man that call Borderland their favorite place or their favorite mm. burn because it is very familial and it is very, very experimental in a different direction. So the art is, of course, smaller, but we have a lot of live acting role play art. Like two of my friends, Cindy and Linnea, had this project last year or like last year when Borderland happened that they had, you know, the concept of work is play that I talked uh, previously about. They had a quest hall as a place for people to come to ask the queens for tasks and in the same time, it was, you know, a place where you could get fun tasks to do to entertain yourself, but you could actually do working tasks and ask the queens. And, you know, there were really two big thrones and people, you know, asking for tasks to help and, and, and work um, in the festival. That's especially good for newbies and people that come for the first time without a big project and want to help because everyone is helping. So... There was this huge queue at times <laughs> of wow. people wanting to go and audience for the queens and get, you know, fun tasks or actual working tasks. And this is a concept that I think doesn't really, it wouldn't, or what I assume wouldn't pop up in Burning Man in that way. There's just this booth for volunteers, but that's another mm. word that, we want to use, you know, like you're not really a bro- volunteer at, Bur- at uh, Borderland. It comes with so much history like you're giving something that others aren't, but actually everyone should be giving something. So there's no volunteers, but just actors and participants. That's and our security cool. people are dressed as clowns and walk around and are the clown police. And are not, I mean, they're not the source of authority. Of course, there's projected authority, but they're just people being sober, taking care of the space and reminding people to do the right thing. And yeah, we have escalation protocols because, you know, you have to take care of people and be accountable if things happen. But it's a different, it's different to be a, approached by a sheriff than to be approached by a clown. Just, just yeah. the vibe is different. <laughs> yeah, could be a little creepy depending on what you're on at the time in your relationship to clowns <laughs> as a child. But broadly, also, uh, I love it. I, I like this... Um, queen idea i love this idea of people coming up and getting the tasks and feeling that inclusivity and feeling that connectedness um that speaks to me to this delicious tension underlying all of these processes and systems we're talking about like obviously broadly if we can decentralize as much as possible that's a good thing i feel uh and there's it's tricky though because you know if you give someone a task and they don't follow through and it was an essential task it can kind of cause meltdown for lots of other people and processes so it speaks to this idea of like comes back to this individual work before we're ready to really operate in these contexts um like holacracy these decentralized systems if 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 the the group of people aren't ready if they aren't accountable to themselves if they don't have that kind of uh commitment or they can't trust themselves to quite follow through yet 
then we tend to default. We need these kind of more hierarchical top-down systems to ensure the whole ship stays afloat. So it's this delicious pull for me between these new systems and how ready we are as individuals to inhabit them. And that's kind of the role that I see of these collectives as being training ground to allow us to then inhabit the kind of utopia of the future that will require us to be fluent in terms of liquid democracy and sociocracy and decentralized systems and nonviolent communication. So yeah, kind of dojos for that. That's that's where my energy is going next. And the next book I want to write are like, what are those aspects that make us ready? What kind of person could you just drop into the heart of Borderlands and they would like just swim straight away versus, you know, what are those blocks that might, you know, stop someone from having a good time, being able to participate or just being filled with desire and chasing all the pretty things and experiences around the whole time. I wonder if you can relate to that kind of thinking. Yeah, I felt that there's something, a clarification that I I want to bring up here is that I see Mm -hmm. the borderland, the extreme experimental ground. It's one week a year. And I think there's, you know, the place where we draw a lot of inspiration from, from to build and create more constant uh, ecosystems like Norden and Blivande. Um, and we do experiment a lot in that week, but it is very much in my consciousness that it's an experimentation and it's one week of extreme trying. And there is every year this tension. And I think as long as we create this experiment, it will not go away of it possibly collapsing at some point. And I don't know how healthy that is, but in some way, I think it's good to have that experimental playground. But every single year, I feel that there is points where the borderland could collapse or it could just be canceled because of something. But it's part of the charm, you know, it's a conscious choice, I think, community wise that we do. Um, And it hasn't collapsed yet, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) It is great. But isn't that stressful as you say that? What I feel is like, obviously, to experimental is good but also these events and these communities they become so important to us so quickly that that's a a, an interesting tension that they become often our sense of self and belonging and safety and creativity and all the most important things and just as you get a taste for them to have them be so precarious as often these events are because they're kind of on the outskirts of mainstream culture Oh, it's tricky. It's a bit of a tightrope walk, you know, to invest yourself completely inside of things that may not be there anymore. It's almost, it's kind of like a beautiful spiritual decision, isn't it? To just live moment to moment and go all in, not knowing what comes next. A bit of the kind of Bhagavad Gita type message. Yeah, but that's only the borderland. Definitely not the same vibe with Plivando Norden. There I'm much more invested in in a different way. I think borderland, you know, having this experimental nature allows for for that emotion and for for that detachment to create. But this year, when it didn't happen, a participant posted on yeah on Facebook just a message saying, "I noticed that a lot of people that usually put their energy in borderland are starting to create own efforts and smaller gatherings and communities in their local spaces because borderland is not happening. Should we have borderland every second year?" And, you know, there was a lot of reactions to that post, like, yeah, no, if you don't want to go, don't go. But deeply inside, what I want to share about it is that it made me realize um, that I'm probably too involved in Borderland. Because for me, it felt like a relief, like, yeah, Borderland, only every second year, less work. 
which actually means and, uh, you know, brought me to decide that I'm not going to join the non-board board next year and step mm. down and concentrate on like local efforts because maybe I'm just hindering someone to step up into the position that I am and that wants to do it every single year because, you know, I have the skill sets to do that. And also letting go of that power and authority. And yeah, I think that's one of the biggest difference actually with Burning Man that the board changes completely almost every two years because people step onto power and then leave power to enable other people to step to power. And then you create this community of people's um, of people that can actually plan, organize and do in their individual camps and, and lives outside this experimental festival. Um, and are less attached to power uh, than in traditional organizations. And I'm assuming uh, Burning Man. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's cool. I love that, starting to prototype these new reverse dominance hierarchies and and embody them in our our festival projects. Um, I would like to ask, maybe the last question is, are there any particular rituals that you guys in the community there at Blivanda have have, have kind of – prototyped or anything that you do that is unique to you guys that helps you come together as a group? I think given that that we're so young, this is definitely something that I want to find out during the retreat, to have a more ritualistic nature around being in community. I really love rituals, just giving you context. And in Borderland, I'm part of the witch camp, so we do a lot of rituals. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow. But it's something that is still under development. And, you you know, we need to find something that is available for the different belief systems and the different people there. And, yeah, there is, you know, when when there is something like a big event or something that we manage to do, there is this, this, this ceremonial being together. But I really deeply believe in the power of rituals. And I'm really curious and want to intentionally find more ritual, ritualistic practices around Blivanda. Maybe yeah, even, you know, members. But it's also a little, you know, like it's hard because what it, it is also in, you know, a place where people can get judgmental against against the whole concept and can be quite exclusive, ex, like exclusive or excluding people that are not open to get into a ritualistic process from the start. I guess mm. at some point, open up to it and I've seen it many many times but it's if you come with a ritual of of being part of it just in the beginning and it's you know people that are have their co-working spaces there they are you know programming all day or working on their different companies consulting so it's a different threshold it's not like a, the people found them each other at Borderland but there's also yeah. co-working I think it's an as- interesting aspect and finding something that is available for everyone that's a challenge, yeah. and I'm really looking forward to explore that maybe more in the retreat. Like that retreat will be absolutely amazing. I'm sure of it. We will explore a lot of our inner longings together, which is, you know, for me, like eating a huge amount of chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That sounds like a good ritual, the chocolate cake ritual. Um, <laughs> you may want to get in touch with Jan and Jean, who I interviewed a couple podcasts ago, who are just experts in gathering together um but it sounds like actually you're on the board of one of the most fascinating burns in the world so i'm sure you've got enough ideas up your sleeve probably more than enough that's going to be amazing um 
Diana, thank you so much for joining me today and surfing across all the many fascinating topics that we did. I feel lots of love and open-heartedness and just lots of admiration and respect and joy hearing about what you guys are doing over there. I can't wait to come and visit and stay abreast of of how things unfold going ahead for you and your community. Thank you so much. I feel also very happy that we could talk about all these different topics and um, yeah, things that, that also thank you for being so open and in in going down paths that are you know most interesting also to me within this communities. I also want to super invite you to interview um, any of the other members uh, if you want to have you know like more of a visionary like where are we going type of thing. Um, this is a very emotional story and inquirative process, philosophical <laughs> episode, but I'm super, like, they're amazing people with amazing ideas. I'm sure Blivande will be huge and it will become very central in uh, Stockholm and cultural and social aspects will influence the city. So this is how big I think it is and will become. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I'm really keen on on getting the multiple perspectives from different people within these few collectives. I'm just trying to figure out how many of them are out there. Just as I think I've found the limit, um, there's another one, you know, but once I do find that, definitely getting those multiple perspectives um, would just give so much richness because also I want to start to like identify the roles that we all seem to play in these different settings because they're all quite similar you know there is the visionary character there is the more energetic space holder type characters there are the kind of relationship builders there's the doers and um i really like the idea of like coming up with fun names and rituals and names for these different roles so they can be honored and, and most importantly so they can be supported for what they are and what they do so yeah i love that idea and i'd love to interview anyone you recommend um so we can get in touch after this. But for now, let's wrap up and um, sending you a huge burst of gratitude for being so open and willing to share your story with everyone. Thanks for being here today, Diana. Thank you so much, Joe. You're really doing uh, nice work. I'm, I'm so happy you're doing this. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. If you're interested to learn more about Noden, you can find information about them posted in the show notes. And if you want to find out more about the book, A Collective Blooming, I published late last year, then go to the website www.joelightfoot.org. Music by Johnny Eagle. Thanks for joining me and see you next time. Till then, take care.